Well, if you'd please take out your Bibles to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, if you have a Bible with you. If you didn't bring a Bible, we have ones right near you that we'd love for you to take out and use. And it's in the Red Bible, I believe it's page 716, where we're going to be studying in Mark's Gospel today, chapter 10. And uh, we're going to be looking primarily at verses 42 through 45 as we conclude this series, this four-week series we've been calling Declaring War with these four. If you haven't been with us ever before, for over a year and a half, almost two years now, we've been saying that we believe God is calling us as a church to declare war on shallow Christianity, beginning with ourselves. And we've been talking about, as we walk with Christ, how He wants to continue to surface, identify, and reveal, expose the shallowness in our relationship with Christ, not to destroy us, not to dumb us down, but to actually free us so that we can go to maturity. And I don't know if you've ever seen this verse before, but Romans 8.29 reminds us of God's big picture for every person that they would come to know Christ. And here's, let's read it together. For God knew His people in advance, and He chose them to become like His Son, so that His Son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. That means that God's goal in your life and mine is for us to come to know Jesus Christ and then to become like Him in character. To become like Him in the way that He interacted with people and saw the world. And so that's God's big goal. But how does that happen? I mean, how do we declare war on shallow Christianity? Uh, when I was uh, younger, I told this a couple weeks ago, uh, I started running more distances and stuff, and I soon found out that my legs, uh, I was doing something wrong. So I went to a sports medicine guy, and he showed me stretches that if I would practice them every day, before and after I ran, and even on days I didn't, that I would actually be healthier. And uh, that little practice, uh, although at first I thought, well, this is kind of extra, this is unnecessary, that little practice became very helpful to me, whether I went running or playing tennis or other things like that, walking. And I I just realized that that practice became key. There are practices like that in the Christian life that Jesus himself practiced. And that if we're going to follow him, if we will practice them, then he will use those to help us become more like them. So we've been talking about those. If you look up here on the screen, first week we talked about this thing in John 15 that Jesus talks about abide in me. Learn how to live in me and with me and uh, let me live in you. And that kind of dailiness. And again, Steve talked about how we can actually practice this practice to abide. The second week we talked about stewards. We talked about the fact that stewarding is this understanding that everything belongs to God. He has now let me manage these things on his behalf. And therefore, as I learn how to steward money and any possessions or opportunities that come my way, It will help me grow. I will see in tangible ways His working in my life. Third week, last week, we talked about community. This practice that God was made, uh, God, excuse me, made us in His image because God is always been living in community. Let us make man in our image, the Bible says. And we saw how out of that, you and I can never become like Jesus as solo Christians. We need to learn it in community. And Sunday morning is not enough. It's, it's too big. And so we can actually take our max, max, excuse me, mask off in community. We talk about life groups. And if you're not already in one, I hope you'll sign up for one soon and be part of something like that, one that the church offers or one, again, of some other Christians. But this week, we're going to talk about serve. 
serve. You're following along? Again, God gives practices to win the war over shallow Christianity. That's what we're talking about. And today, we're going to look at the idea to serve. Before we look at Mark 10, I want to just talk to you about a couple things that set this up. First, I just want to make sure I say this. This is where the war gets most intense. Up on our banners here, we have love the Lord, love one another, serve the world. Most of us will say, hey, count me in for love the Lord. I'm even willing to do the love one another thing as long as they're neat people. But serve the world, hmm, hmm, serve, hmm. I'm kind of on a different track. I kind of want to be successful. That sounds like downward mobility. And in fact, it is. And so for us to become like Jesus, a lot of times we gulp. Well, let me just talk about what serve means and talk about why there's pushback in our spirits when we talk about this. And then we want to look at what Jesus wants to teach us. So first, what's the word serve mean? The word serve means to help if you're following along, assist, to wait on, to work for, to carry out the will of another. To help, assist, to wait on, to work for, to carry out the will of another. And the idea is, is that you and I have opportunities to help, to assist, to you know, do things that lift other people up, that bless other people, that put other people before ourselves. Every day, there's opportunities that confront us. They're all around us. The question is, will we practice serving on a regular basis? Will it become a lifestyle? Because here's the truth. I don't know if you've noticed, but even celebrities are catching on to the fact that serving is sexy. Serving is this kind of thing that if you can if you can show people you're serving, people give you extra credit points. But the problem is is motive. Motive. And this is what I want to point out in this next line in the notes. Here's the real danger when we talk about serve today, is that you and I can serve selectively or with selfish motives. You and I can serve selectively or with selfish motives. And this is not what Jesus is teaching. Jesus is not teaching the kind of serving that's being done a lot nowadays. Again, as noble as it is, as much good as it does, he's teaching something much deeper, much more uh, powerful. Uh, But the reason why I need this message so badly today is because I still, this many years after knowing Christ, still see fairly often, motives that concern the Lord. It's possible to be a pastor and serve as a pastor for the wrong motives. It's possible to do kind things for people really out of our need to be needed or out of our need for praise or out of our need, all those kind of motives. And uh, years ago I read this poem by Ruth Harms Calkin. I've never forgotten it. It's called I Wonder. It says, you know, Lord, how I serve you with great emotional fervor in the limelight. You know how eagerly I speak for you at the women's club. You know how I effervesce when I promote a fellowship group. You know my genuine enthusiasm at a Bible study. But how would I react, I wonder, if you pointed to a basin of water and asked me to wash the callous feet of a bent and wrinkled old woman day after day, month after month, in a room where nobody saw And nobody knew. Jesus 
came to teach us the kind of serving that has a purity to it, that has a richness to it, that's different than some kind of celebrity thing. Now, again, I don't know how you look back over your life, but one of the things that led me to realize I needed Jesus Christ was this issue. As my first 15, 16 years of my life, I look back and I see there were just all kinds of patterns of using people, of manipulating situations, of figuring out ways to get the upper hand, of figuring out ways to benefit from people and caring more about what they could do for me than what I could do for them. And part of it, I just I saw that. And when I saw that, the Lord used that to point me to my need for a new heart and Jesus Christ coming into my life. But here's the honest truth. After Jesus Christ came in and by His Holy Spirit, He began to change the way I look at people so that now I didn't always look at them as people to compete with, people to conquer, people to compare myself with, people to criticize. While those changes began to happen, I still noticed that there were times that I could be a kind of Jekyll and Hyde where some days I would be serving with some real noble things and other times I would still be the old Jeff. And so I realized that part of the reason why Jesus wants us to practice this is because the process of becoming like Jesus Christ happens through practicing these things and sometimes learning things that we are hard to learn about ourselves and also sometimes learning that there still is this desire sometimes we have to fight and declare war with about us being in charge, us protecting ourselves, us getting our own way. Can I just be honest? Here's why most of us are scared to study this subject or apprehensive. First, we don't want to be inconvenienced. Anybody give me an amen on that one? Second, we don't want to become a doormat. And sometimes messages like this have been used by people to abuse and use other people. And so this subject needs to be handled wisely. But when we talk about serving, the truth is, is that most of us don't want to be second. Most of us don't want to have someone else experience something that we miss out on. I remember years ago, Leonard Bernstein, the famous orchestra director, was asked, what is the most difficult instrument to play? And he said, second fiddle. He said, I can get lots of people to play first violin, but to find people that will play second violin or second French horn or second flute with enthusiasm is very difficult. But he said, that's the only way we can have harmony. And so this idea of learning how to do this is challenging, isn't it? And so today, if you're following along, here's what we're going to do. We're going to see how in an awkward moment, Jesus teaches his disciples to serve. How in an awkward moment, Jesus teaches his disciples to serve. And um, again, as we do that, I'm going to read beginning with verse 35 and then Eventually, before we're done today, we'll read all the way to verse 52. But I want to ask you if you'll follow along with me as I read about this. And, um, and then after that, I'm going to tell you what I think Jesus is wanting to teach us. Because if we walk out of here and we don't learn more about how to serve and who to serve and when to serve and why to serve and those things, then I'm going to be disappointed in the way that I helped us spend our time. So that's the goal. We're going to try and learn those things. But um, let me just pray. We'll read that passage, and then we'll, we'll go that direction that's there on the notes. Oh, God, here's the truth. We come to this subject with a certain amount 
of holdout, a certain amount of pushback, a certain amount of reservation. Would you somehow so work in these next few moments that you would remind us or you would help us get to a place where we could see the power that there is in serving you with the kind of purity that you want to work in us. And we pray, O oh Lord, that you would do that, as Craig said, for your glory, that people would see your glory working in our lives, your grace. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, I'm going to read verse 35. And then, just so you know the context, Jesus has just predicted his death. So this isn't one of those times where everybody's going, ha, 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 ha. It's not that spirit at all. This is a very sober moment. So he's just talked about how he's going to be killed. He's predicting that. Now look at verse 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, these were two of his disciples, came to him. Now just think about their timing. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Kind of brazen, isn't it? A for honesty. 36. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. Verse 37. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. See what's going on here? Would you make sure we get the best seats in glory? Verse 38. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. Both these guys would suffer for his name. But to sit at my right hand or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. Verse 41, when the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. And he guesses why? Surely not because we wanted those seats. Or because, who do they think they are? So now Jesus has a very awkward moment. He has tension in the group. And the next four verses, I want to just read from the screen here, in the message paraphrase, because I really came to appreciate them this week. So Jesus got them together to settle things down. He said, you've observed how godless rulers throw their weight around. In some of your translations, it says Gentiles. Whenever you see the word Gentile, it means someone outside of God's covenant, an unbeliever, someone who's probably godless or pagan. And um, so he says, you've seen how Gentile rulers handle things. They throw their weight around. You've seen that. Then he says, and when people get a little power, how quickly it goes to their heads. You've seen that too, haven't you? Then he goes on. It's not going to be that way with you. Uh, sometimes as parents, we have to say to our kids, uh, this is acceptable in our family and this is unacceptable behavior in our family. Jesus is saying, this kind of approach to life is unacceptable in our family, in our group. Whoever wants to be great must become what, friends? A servant. Whoa, they weren't expecting that. Whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. That is what the Son of Man, he's talking about himself, has done. He came to serve, not to be served, and then to give away his life in exchange for many who are held hostage. And what I think Jesus is saying here, if I was just going to sum it up in everyday language, is this. 
and you'll see it in these three big ideas, is that if you and I want to go from people who aren't interested in serving to people who are more interested in serving Jesus the way Jesus is talking about serving, if we want to practice this in everyday life with shoe leather, then here's three things that are going to probably have to take place at some point in our lives. The first, Jesus is saying, is change how you think. This is going to have to happen right here. The way that you think about life, the way that you see life, it's going to have to start there. And then you're going to have to make a decision to become a servant. Lastly, I want to urge you to watch me. I'll go first. I'll show you. I won't just tell you. This is powerful stuff. And so, again, why, why, why would a message like this be so helpful? I came across another poem this week by Robert Raines who wrote these words. I am like James and John. Lord, I size up other people in terms of what they can do for me, how they can further my program, feed my ego, satisfy my needs, give me strategic advantage, I exploit people, ostensibly for your sake, but really for my own. Lord, I turn to you to get the inside track and obtain special favors, your direction for my schemes, your power for my projects, your sanction for my ambitions, your blank check for whatever I want. I am like James and John. And if we are like James and John, which I am, then... Jesus wants to teach us how we can change the way we think. And notice if you're following along, the very first thing he does in this conversation when he gathers these guys together is he says, observe and abandon a here-to-be-served mindset. Observe. Look around. You've seen a here-to-be-served mindset. And I'm asking you that once you've observed it and you've seen how ugly it is and you've seen how much you hate it when it gets used on you, that you will abandon it, that you will say, for all the payoff that that might bring, it is a dead-end road. It is an ugly, ugly way to live. And therefore, every time we see it rise up in ourselves, Jesus says, observe it, abandon it. It's not here to be served. That's a real wake-up call for a lot of us because we're taught every day by commercials and by different people who counsel us. It's about you. It's about me. It's about us getting our way. It's about people learning how to serve us. Jesus says, man, when a world operates like that, and that is how the world operates, it is in trouble. That's why I've come. Because not just other people, but you guys even. It's infected us, our group. So observe it and abandon it. Second thing is see yourself as called and saved to be a servant. See yourself, not your neighbor, not your brother, not the other disciples. See yourself as called and saved to be a servant. This is why I come. is not just to be a servant for you, but also to teach you how to serve. Because God wants to redeem your sorry life, my sorry life, from that kind of life. And get us on a track that has so much better purpose. So much, so much better way of living. And so when you think about that, how does that work? How does that happen? Can I just be honest? A lot of times it happens by God first initiating those thoughts in our mind. By saying, do you, do you see? 
you see what happens when people live here to be served? Do you, but do you also see what could happen if you began to see yourself as a servant that was saved by God's grace, called by God's grace to be a servant of the Most High God? What would begin to happen if that began to spin like that in your mind? A lot. Well, James Irwin, one of the first um, astronauts to walk on the moon, described how as he was making his way back from the moon, just filled with awe at what he had beheld there in the moon and looking back at the earth. Uh, Charles Swindoll said he heard him tell this story at a prayer breakfast. And uh, he was talking about how uh, there on the moon, as he made his way back, it occurred to him that he was going to be a celebrity by the time he got back to earth. The news channels were going to want to talk to him. He realized he was going to be a superstar. But as he made his way back, he said, God just allowed me to realize that what I had just observed was actually now something that I would be able to share with the world that would tell the world how great God is. And that actually I was a servant, not a celebrity. And that if I would steward that well, if I would learn how to serve like that, that I could really glorify God. After the last service, a man came up to me and said, did you know what else James Irwin said? He said, as he was standing there on the moon, he thought, what an unbelievable feat for mankind to be standing on the moon. And God whispered to him, no, what an unbelievable feat that the Son of God would put his feet on the earth. And you and I need to understand that we were made to be servants. And when you and I understand that, when God lets that click, everything doesn't get all better. But it begins to change. Steve pointed this out when we studied James. That James was the half-brother of Jesus, so he could have used that celebrity when he wrote his letter. But instead, how does he open that letter? He opens by saying, James, a servant of Christ Jesus. Look at Paul in Romans 1.1. Look at what he says. This is a guy that was a pusher and a shaker, a mover and a shaker and a pompous. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. He said, there's really two things you need to know about me. My name is Paul, and I am a servant of Christ Jesus. And that's changed everything. So, he wants to change our thinking. The second thing is, Jesus says, at some point, you're going to have to decide to become a servant. You're going to have to decide to say, you know what? I know the world tells me that being a servant is a lowly job. It's a waste of time that I should try and aim for the top. But no, now I'm beginning to understand what Jesus means. Becoming a servant is my calling. And so if you're following along, notice this. The idea of becoming a servant is a daily thing. Each day, if you're following along, give yourself first to me, Jesus says, and then to others. Give yourself each brand new day. Have you ever tried this? Have you ever just slipped out of bed, got down on your knees, or before you went too far in the day, just said, okay, Lord, remind me, that in this fast-paced world, will it be easy to push and shove? Will it be easy to try and get myself forward, get my name out there, make a name for myself? Remind me that my name is Jeff, and I am a servant of Christ Jesus, and that if I will give myself to you, you will be able to enable me to look at others differently than I've looked at them before. And you will be able to help me go through the day as I abide with you, and you will show me how to do that. And as I spend time in community with you, other people, I will be able to serve people in your name. And so when that's going on like that, it's just such a powerful, 
powerful thing. Where do we get this idea? Luke chapter 9, verse 23, I've listed out to the right. What does Jesus say? If anyone would come after me, in other words, if, if you're serious about getting to know me and following me, let them deny themselves. Notice Jesus unapologetically says, you've got to make sure that it's not you still in charge. Deny yourself. Take up your cross daily. In other words, be willing to die to you being in control daily. And then come and follow me. Then he says, for whoever would save his life, you'll lose it. But whoever would lose their life for my sake will find it. So the idea is give yourself first to the Lord. Years ago, we, we stumbled onto this verse in 2 Corinthians 8, 5 as a church. That they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. That is always a great pattern. Because if you and I give ourselves first to others and then to the Lord, when others don't appreciate us, we will be mad. We will go, see, I told you serving was a bad idea. If we give ourselves first to the Lord and then they don't praise us or they don't seem grateful, we'll still be able to say, I did it for you, Jesus. I did it with you. I did it because you asked me to. I did it because I understand that being faithful as a servant is what really matters, not the result. And that kind of spirit is huge. And when people, when, when boys and girls, teenagers, adults of all ages start doing this, friends, things start to click in a group of people. And then he says this, with me, practice a here-to-serve lifestyle. With me, instead of a here-to-be-served lifestyle, practice a here-to-serve lifestyle. I'll never forget, 15 or 20 years ago, I went to a church conference. It was a big conference at a big church, and all their volunteers in the church had name tags because, again, in crowds like that, if you needed assistance and stuff, they wanted to identify their volunteers. So there was no surprise about name tags. That didn't surprise me. What did surprise me is what they had underneath the name bag. There was this ribbon that had three words. The three words that I hope you carry out of here with you today when you think about Jesus' teaching. Here to serve. Now, it's one thing to put those on badges. It's one thing to say that. But what really impressed me is that every person I interacted with at that conference had that spirit. They saw themselves as being available to help me. And they did it with a gentleness and a humility and actually a gladness that impressed me so much and probably would have impressed you. And when you and I begin again to think like that, whew, it's huge, this idea of becoming a servant. But, you know, that's where the war is, isn't it? This is where the challenge is. This is where I go, okay, I understand that. I just am still not sure about that. I'm not sure that's what I want to become. It reminds me of the two little boys that were having breakfast one morning with their mom. The mom was cooking them pancakes. Kevin, who was five, and Ryan, who was three. And as she was making them, the boys started arguing over who was going to get the first pancake. So the mother saw an opportunity for a teachable moment. And she said, Kevin, Ryan, you know if Jesus were here right now, you know what he would say? He would say, you can have the first pancake. After a little pause, Kevin said, Ryan, you be Jesus. And when you and I are listening to a message like this, we may find ourselves thinking, oh, I'll let the person next to me become a servant. I'll let somebody else become a servant. Or when I'm older, 
when I retire. Jesus is saying, why not now? Why not today? Do you realize the joy you are missing? Do you realize the fullness of life? Albert Schweitzer, very successful doctor and musician, went to work in the Congo in Africa many years ago. Later in his life said, the only really happy people are those who have learned how to serve. Do you believe that? Jesus believed it to his toe. And he said, become a servant. If you want to understand how the kingdom of God works, if you want to understand what greatness looks in God's eyes, not, nothing wrong with wanting to be great. Just make sure you define greatness the right way. Greatness is becoming a servant. Oh, man. Oh, man. We studied this in Philippians chapter 2. Steve and I taught on this. Look at these verses again. It says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Does it say that we're not supposed to take care of our interests? No, but it says don't let your world become so small. That's all you think about. Consider other people's interests, not just your own. Look for other people, not just yourself. And then it says your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who stepped down, 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 down. The next few verses said, going as far down as to be willing to die a death on a cross. It was the lowest place in the world at that time you could live. Jesus did it. And He did it willingly. And He did it for the joy set before Him, the Bible says, because He knew what it would bring about. And so this morning, the last thing I want you to see is that not only does He say, change how you think and become a servant, what I hope you'll see is that He says, watch me. In other words, I'm not just going to gather you together right now. And say, here's what you should do. I'm urging you every day, watch me. Watch how I live. Watch what it means to serve and see if you don't see the most compelling reason of all to serve. Because you've observed how godless rulers do it. Now observe. Now look and see how I do this. Where do I get this idea? Well, first from verse 45, which I've listed in the gray second gray box. So would you read it out loud with me, please? For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. In the kingdom of God, from the top to the bottom, it's about serving. Even the greatest serves. And I didn't come to be served. That's not why I came to earth. I'm here to serve. And then what He does in the verses right after this, I want you to see. Because He puts on a clinic of the very thing He's been talking about. Then they came to Jericho. I bet these guys were still thinking about this conversation. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, that is, son of Timaeus, Bar means son, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, Have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man. Cheer up. On your feet. He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside. He jumped to his feet. Can you picture this? And came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. 
Your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. If you're following along in the notes, Jesus says, watch me as I ask, what can I do for you and help the least? Watch me as I ask, what can I do for you and help the least? You know how a servant thinks? A servant, it's, it's not that a servant never thinks about, you know, what could they possibly do for me? But they find themselves when they're thinking that question, they go, you know, maybe the better question is, what could I do for you or what could I do for them? And that kind of question becomes a lot more operative in a servant's heart. And so Jesus asked that. And here's what I want you to notice. Did you notice this isn't the first time in what we just read that he asked that question? Did you look back to verse 36? Remember how that whole awkward conversation started? Jesus, we want you to do whatever we ask. And Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? He asked that question. Now he asked this blind guy. Do you notice this guy is definitely not one of the most popular people in the crowd? He's begging. He's blind. People talk to him rudely. He is a bother. He is a waste of space on the planet in most people's minds. He is a zero. And Jesus, as he's walking by, he hears this guy call. And he says, call him. This guy comes up to him. What do you want me to do for you? He listens to him and says, oh, I'll do that. And he helps him see. Now here's the messiness of serving. I hope no one walks out of here going, just serve and your life will be delightful. Because <laughs> it's messier than that and you know it, don't you? The truth is, once you decide to change your mind and become a servant, it will mess up your life. You will lose a certain amount of control. He will send you sometimes to people that you have no use for. He will ask you to do things where people will be ungrateful sometimes, other times very grateful. But it'll be messy. And here's the other thing. Sometimes people have said, if I keep asking what can I do for you, people are going to take advantage of me. Sometimes they will. That's the danger. That's the vulnerability. That's the risk. That's why some people never do. But here's what I want you to see is that just because you ask that question does not mean that you always do what people want you to do for them. Jesus did not do for James and John what they asked. He said, you're asking for the wrong thing. And I'm not going to do that, nor can I do that for you, because that's actually, you, you know, he challenged them. And sometimes people think that if we become servants, we don't challenge people. We just always go, okay. No, serving not in an unquestioned unwise way, but saying, I want to make sure that I'm asking that question because Jesus is teaching me to ask that question, but I want to make sure I'm doing what the Lord wants me to do, not just what somebody else decides is the agenda for my life. And so we just need to make sure that we're available like that. But I hope you see that it does not mean serving without boundaries. It means being wise, but also serving. And then here's the last thing I want you to see. Watch me as I put the Father first, wash your feet, and die for you. He says, you're going to spend time with me. And what I hope you see every day as you spend time with me is that you see me giving myself with gratitude and love to the Heavenly Father first. You know, everything I'm doing flows out of wanting to please and obey Him and, and do life with Him. I hope you see that I put the Father first. And not only that, I hope that you see that when you're not willing to wash each other's feet, I will. 
I will. I'll take the low job. I'll take the last seat. I'll let someone else go in front of me. I'll bend down. I'll tie the servant's towel around my waist. And I'll love you. And I'll serve you. And when that kind of thing goes on, that's powerful. I don't think the guys ever forgot the night before Jesus was crucified watching Jesus wash their feet because they hadn't been willing to do it for each other. I don't think they ever forgot that. But I don't think they forgot the next day either. When they watched Jesus walk up that hill and lay down his life for their sins, yours and mine. I don't think they ever forgot that. And they saw the power of serving. And friends, for generations now, people that before had been self-centered, once they meet Jesus Christ, are transformed. And what keeps them changing is they can never get over who Jesus Christ is and what Jesus Christ keeps bringing them back to and teaching them. And he says, watch me, watch me, watch me. Not because I'm trying to show off, but because I, I want, I don't, I'm never going to ask you to do something. I'm not willing to first do myself. Watch me, follow me, join me. And again, friends, I just want to tell you, the experience of most Christians as they look back over their life is the only regrets they have is when they served themselves instead of serving Jesus. The things they're most grateful for are the times they said, I'll serve. So how do we do this? What are the practical ways we do this? And in the closing moments, I want to talk about that. First, how do we serve? You know the truth is, in many ways, it's not by doing one more thing. It's about taking a look at your life as it already is and just beginning to live in it as a servant. So, for instance, for me, I noticed for a long time, I didn't notice it soon enough, I noticed that my wife would prepare our dinner at night, take the, you know, stuff off the table, wash the dishes. And sometimes I would just let her do that because she was married to a guy that thought he was here to be served. And she was wondering, like, is Jesus in the room? Is Jesus in my husband? Never said a lot about that. It wasn't whining, complaining. But Jesus just goes, Clue phone's ringing. Clear off the table. Help. Assist. Pick up a towel. Do that with your wife. Don't just go for the remote. Come on. Oh, man, it's been huge lessons. Sometimes when I'm talking with someone, it's as simple as the Lord saying, pay attention to them. Notice them. Esteem them. Value them. Care about them. Serve them. Look for ways to build them up. Man, those things happen. For some of you, what if you did that more at your job? What if you did that in your family? You know, sometimes, here's what I've learned as a pastor. It is easy to serve everybody else but my family. To look for strokes, to look for praise, to look for attention, and my family gets the leftovers. Is that what God wants me to do? No. So he says, learn how to practice it in your house. And then learn how to extend it in your neighborhood. Learn how to extend it to your school, your job, wherever you are. Because it's a lifestyle. Here to serve. Here to serve. A cup of cold water, Jesus said in my name. But sometimes it also means being willing to say, I'll go wherever you ask me to go. I'll rearrange my life like Craig and Darcy did. Or I will rearrange my schedule and go across town into places I would have never imagined myself going. Because you're asking me to. 
And yeah, will sometimes the experiences not be so thrilling and exciting? Maybe they'll be unglamorous. Will I do that even if nobody knows, nobody sees, nobody's watching? Oh man, Jesus can help us grow like this. This last two weeks, uh, some friends of ours from Westside Christian Church gave Trish and I a book called Kisses from Katie. I don't know if you've ever heard of this book. But we have just been, it's rocked our world these last couple weeks. It's a story about a 17-year-old girl from Franklin, Tennessee, one of the wealthier suburbs of Nashville, who in her senior year of high school just became disillusioned with American Dream. Just realized that she'd experienced a lot of it, and it just wasn't all it was cracked up to be. There had to be something more. So she asked her parents if she could go on a mission trip for three weeks during spring break, and she went to Uganda. While she was there for three weeks, God did something in her mind in her heart that changed the trajectory of her life forever. She came back home and told her parents, if it's okay with you, they wanted her to get her college degree and everything like that. She said, I believe I'm supposed to go for a year after I graduate to Uganda and serve the children there. They were reluctant. They finally let her go. And then while she was over there, as a single gal, she ended up adopting 14 girls and also sponsoring 400 children every day so they have meals and education. And she's now 23 or 24 years old. I just saw her interviewed by David Platt, who wrote Radical on YouTube, and I'm telling you what, she has a story to tell. And she talks about how messy it is, but she talks about how thrilling it is. It is a mix, but she will never regret serving Jesus with her one and only life. She'll always be able to look back on that. And so here's closing. If you have your notes there, I want, and when you finish this line, would you just hold on to your notes before you put them away? Here's the question. Who and how is Jesus asking me to serve this week? Who and how is Jesus asking me to serve this week? And if you turn your notes over to the back, we often talk about practical ways that our church provides for you to serve the world. Are we saying these are the only ones that count? No. These are just ideas. But what if you began to see yourself as a servant and began to say, Lord, is this one of the situations you're opening up for me that you want me to do? So, again, you can see short-term mission trips. Trish and I are going to take a couple of these this year. Some of you serving locally. The last five years, I've been able to mentor at Feichens Academy. And by practicing serving, let me just tell you, I've seen and learned stuff about other people and about myself that's stretching. I hope I'm not sending anybody out of here going, boy, it's just easy and a blast and never confusing. No, it's, it's all that. But it's worth it because it thinks bigger than smaller. So whatever one it might be like that, there's information. It may just be that the Lord wants you to serve somebody that we, haven't, we don't even know about. He wants you to do it this week and He wants you to do it in a certain way and He's showing you that while we've been talking. But now we're going to come back to that song, that prayer that we heard during the offering. And I want to just ask you if you would think about what it would mean if this week you stepped into this week saying, Lord, here to serve. Here to serve. Just like you came. Not to be served, but to serve.